The career field of Geographic Information Systems, or GIS, is one that many people don't put on their radar, but is a fascinating career. Think Google Maps plus drones, and you can find a career that is active plus is incredible growth. Once you understand what GIS is, you'll see it all around you. It is a combination between information and technology to provide insight to help solve real-world problems, such as the tracking of the coronavirus outbreak, to name only one. Matt Kitchen has over 11 years of experience in environmental consulting and GIS. He began his career as a GIS analyst with Adams Environment, Inc. in 2008. While his specialty lies in GIS mapping and modeling, Matt also serves as an environmental scientist and technical writer for AEI. He received his GISP in January of 2015 and completed his Master's of Natural Resources from Oregon State University in March of 2015. His degree in natural resource is supplemented with an emphasis in GIS, and upon graduation, Matt received a GIS science certificate. He focuses on GIS data and data beta management as a project manager for contracts for the San Antonio River Authority. He also conducts AEI geospatial services specific to drone photography and videography as an FAA Part 107 licensed drone pilot. Matt has developed GIS models and scripts for predicting wildlife and plant habitat ranges. Much of Matt's federal geospatial work history involves federal land and the Department of Defense, projects specifically to Nellis Air Force Base and the Nevada Testing and Training Range. Well, I'm super excited. I, I know I say that all the time when I start out a podcast um, to have Matt with us. As I had said in the intro, GIS is a really fascinating career field. And it's kind of one of those career fields that's silently behind so many different industries that you don't even recognize it's there. And when I work with some of my clients and it starts to kind of pop out in their results because we'll see it in different um, engineering and environmental and that kind of stuff, um, it, we, it kind of rises to the front and allows us to have a conversation. So I thought it was important that we, before we end this season of the podcast, that we bring in somebody who actually does GIS, who can articulate it much better than I. And so I'm really excited, Matt, that you agreed to join us. Like many of the people I'm having on the podcast, I either know them really well or they are complete and total strangers. And Matt <laughs> falls into this category because I reached out to him on LinkedIn and he was very gracious to respond and be open to the conversation. And, and so I'm after even talking with him and preparing for this, I know he is the perfect person. So welcome <laughs> so well, much. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So Tell me how, why <laughs> did this even get on your radar? Tell me a little bit about your journey to GIS. Well, I'd say I, I took the long route, the scenic route. Um, I started off with a psychology degree. This is after bouncing around to about 417 different majors in college. Uh, and because you didn't work with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could have used some guidance. <laughs> My, we all did, by the yeah. way. You're not unique. <laughs> <laughs> My parents were the type that were like, you know, just get your degree, 
that's really all that matters mm. to us. It wasn't necessarily pushing us in a certain direction, which I appreciated, but you know, right. now I'm kind of like, well, six and a half years of college just to get the undergrad. Maybe it wasn't the best idea. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I bounced around a lot, ended up with psychology, which obviously is not GIS. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess my senior year, I knew I was about to get engaged. I knew I had to get my life together mm. to propose to my wife and, you know, be able to tell her dad that I had a future. <laughs> right, right. And so uh, I said, Hey dad, who, who owned an environmental company at the time, I said, I've been working with computers my whole life. I've helped you with these kinds of things forever. Is there anything related at all that I might be able to do to, you know, support my family until I figure out what I actually want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I could, I have GIS. You help me, you know, with that. He taught it actually at UTSA kind of at the, the dawn of GIS. So he was a good person to learn from, of course. And so he, uh, he had me come on board and, you know, <laughs> paid me a, a salary that says we're unsure, but we'll see how it goes. And, (laughs) and, uh, I ended up just kind of, kind of latching on and and it became something I became pretty passionate about actually. Uh, and so I guess that's kind of the whole story. Mm -hmm, Right. Well, and when Matt and I were talking, preparing for this, um, one thing I shared with him is I said, it's not surprising that his father actually, has not only a GIS background, but obviously he was teaching it at a university and that Matt would potentially consider that as a career because as if you've listened to any of my podcasts, aptitudes are genetic. So that's oftentimes why people go into career fields that their parents did because it's, you know, just in their DNA. And um, so I'm, I'm always, I love to hear kind of the backstory of parents and how that impacts. In fact, in my intake form process with my clients, I asked them to provide, you know, what is the education level of the parent? Where did they go to school? Um, oftentimes that influences where a young adult wants to go to school, right? Um, yeah. Got some flagships that are, everyone's pretty proud of. <laughs> but ultimately, what is their career? And so how that correlates. Yeah. And so I love that he gave you that opportunity and that you actually found out that you you liked it and you enjoyed yeah, it's, it. It's kind of funny. You mentioned the schools and the job because my parents went to Texas A&M. Both of my sisters went to Texas A&M. Uh, me and my little, little brother are the uh, black sheep who went to Texas <laughs> State. And I I kind of said my whole life, I'm going to A&M. I want to be an Aggie. Then my sister did. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. Right. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I was always kind of the black sheep about most things in the family, I guess. I, I never, ever thought I'd be doing GIS or in the environmental field because I saw my dad do it. And, yeah, I don't think I'll do that. Well, <laughs> there, so like I and then and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that I think it ended up being right. I just was yeah. being stubborn about it. <laughs> right. Well, and that's funny too, because it's one area of why testing is so critical in helping mm-hmm. young adults make decisions because a parent may have said to them, and I know yours was great, but oftentimes parents come to me saying, oh, I think they'd be great at X. Mm-hmm. And the young adult's like, absolutely not. And then when they see it, you know, really it's people who are like them, you know, they, they would actually potentially like them, like it. And they have the natural abilities, which by the way, for GIS, one of the highest one you have to have is um, being able to memorize maps. Um, pattern memory. So you have to be able to see that, um, Mm -hmm. which is really good because oftentimes we don't know why we're able to 
um, memorize images or were great in geography and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but there is something powerful. Had you gone through potentially a process, you may not have taken six years <laughs> and you'd have gone, Oh, huh. Actually, this makes sense. So right, right. Yeah, there's something. So what I want you to do, because we use the word GIS, we <laughs> throw it around. I want you to explain to a person who has never had any exposure what it actually is. Okay. Um, well, the definition that the hardcore GIS people hate is mapping. You know, that's kind of, yes. <laughs> that's kind of just the easy thing to say. And I don't really have a problem with it personally because it's a big chunk of what it is, but mm -hmm. it's definitely a lot deeper than that. It's, it's taking any kind of information and showing how that information can be represented geographically or spatially. So, I mean, it can be anything demographics uh, in my line of work. It's, you know, floodplains and, uh, endangered species, anything. And, but beyond that, it's okay. How do we analyze whatever this thing is on a, on a spatial level? It's about this. It's really the yes. only way to do it, you know, because right. not much data outside of GIS has location attributes attached to it. So mm -hmm. it's a way that you can look at things, especially, I mean, think about what we're going through right now with the, all this COVID stuff without GIS, I think we'd, we wouldn't really have a way to look at it on a, on a mm -hmm. geographic level. So, mm -hmm. so it's, there's a lot to it. It's, it's what's behind stuff like Google maps and, you know, going from here to the grocery store without getting caught in traffic and finding the fastest way to get to Philadelphia without hitting toll roads. You know, it's, it's, there's a whole lot to it that I can't probably explain in the time this podcast has. <laughs> right. Well, and I will tell you, I've had conversations with GIS individuals before and I will say that is probably the biggest challenge is being able to articulate it, right? It's true. It's yes. not just wrapping something up in a nice little bow and saying, oh, I do surgery, right? Or, mm -hmm. um, you know, even with engineers, people struggle to know what they actually do. Yeah. <laughs> they know what the word is, but the word and then at what the end product is great, but it's that middle stuff people yeah. struggle to, to comprehend. So That's very true. tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you worked on, because I think examples will be really helpful for people to go, oh, that makes sense. One of my favorite things that I bring up is, uh, so we had a project in Nevada, we being our company, Adams Environmental, had a, a project in Nevada that was at the Nevada Test and Training Range. It's 2.9 million acres of land that's owned by the military. And they do a lot of training missions there. Well, there are tons of training missions there. <laughs> um, and they don't, they didn't really have a lot of baseline information for the natural resources that are there and may or may not be impacted by what they're doing. And so the contract was to kind of do a whole lot of surveys and document where these features are. And one of the big parts of it was endangered, threatened, sensitive species of flora and fauna or plants and animals. Mm -hmm, um, good. And so I was tasked with, first of all, taking all of the surveyed data and putting into a database that, you know, could be drawn from so that we could produce different maps or different analyses from. On top of that, it's kind of a, a thing I invented for myself to do, I guess, but they were going around these 2.9 million acres looking for these different species, you know, and trying to find the likely place that they might find them. But 
along the way with my GIS journey, I've learned a lot of Python scripting, which is kind of the, the backbone of GIS when it comes to scripting is Python. Um, and I, I've created a script that would run all these different environmental parameters and output a map that shows, okay, here's the most likely area you might find a species based on its soil type, geology, uh, sun you know, aspect. It's a whole lot of stuff. So, um, it, it kind of made a scoring system that was like, here's the most likely place and a ring around that. That's here's where it might be found, but probably not. And, you know, it's going on and on. So, uh, it made it so you're not just kind of, I wouldn't say mindlessly wondering 2.9 million acres, but it's a lot more targeted approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the, one of the bigger projects I did. So tell me, do you have a p- programming background and how much programming is required for the field? <laughs> I would say you can do GIS without knowing any programming. First mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. um, it just depends how deep you want to get into it. Right. As far as my programming background, I used, you know, DOS as a kid. My one mm-hmm. thing I didn't mention, speaking of backgrounds, is my parents owned a word processing business when we lived in Mississippi when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was back, you know, before everyone could just, you know, open up Word and type something for themselves. They had a, they had a, obviously a, an ill-fated business, unfortunately, but a business that, uh, that would do that for people. And next door was a computer software company. We had all these weird DOS games where it was all command line and, uh, you know, no graphical interface. So I guess that's kind of the start of learning how computers right. work. Mm-hmm. Then getting into high school, learn some HTML and web design sort of things, the languages that, you know, everyone used back then. But as far as that, I mean, that was it. And then when I, when I went, I guess I didn't say this part of my story, but when mm-hmm. I went back to get my master's degree later, um, I took one programming Python class and it kind of became one of my favorite things about GIS was doing that part. So, mm-hmm. uh, you can just jump in, you know, <laughs> I guess right. all that just to say, you don't have to have any kind of crazy background. And as long as you have a brain for it, mm-hmm. you know, some people have, have the, I guess, innate ability to, to do stuff like programming, whereas some people it's like, like the people who hate math, you know, right. <laughs> some people like math, some people don't like math, yep. you know, I think scripting Absolutely. is kind of like that. Right. Right. So tell me, how did you actually map the, the Nellis project? So I guess when I say map, I don't mean, you know, we created base maps for it. We didn't, we didn't create the topographic map. We didn't create, well, I guess we kind of did create the aerial map in the sense that we, we hired a company who, who collected satellite imagery. So um, I think it was 2009 was when we did it, but we had Mm -hmm. them, uh, capture all 2.9 million acres uh with four different bands of of uh well four different bands i guess <laughs> um and so then using that as the base map we could we could use the red green blue and infrared uh bands to to then use that in incorporation with other types of models like i i use those bands to um to try to figure out where certain invasive plants were because they showed up a certain uh, spectral signature and it was kind of easy to find them and, and wet things like seeps and springs are a huge part of what we were looking for out there. And, and because the area was wet, it gave off a different reflection than other areas might. So um, all that to say that most of what we did though, was capturing data out in the field, like points, like here's where this was, here's where that was, here's where this was with the GPS then bringing that back in the field to calculate, okay, at this point we saw such and such and such as just such and 
these big horn sheep were this age and this gender and kind of, I guess that was more of what we were doing than right. creating maps from the ground up. Right. Well, and the reason I asked that question is because I have a lot of clients who want to be active, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously an enormous field that I have clients who are interested in and is also growing. Who's It's just the environmental aspect in general. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they don't draw the correlation. They don't think about GIS and how that actually is a perfect cousin, mm-hmm. um, sister, whatever you want to the environmental, hence your name of your company, <laughs> right? right? Yes. We are a primarily environmental company. We do uh, a lot of work with the natural resources. A lot of people when they hear environmental, they think hazmat, you know, they think, oh, what pollution was there? How do you clean it up? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're more on the side of surface waters and the impacts to those surface waters. And if you impact the surface water, how do we mitigate for it based on the laws that we have in this country through the, you know, the Corps of Engineers is the regulating body for surface waters. Mm-hmm. And so we work a lot with them and our clients We're kind of the middleman, I guess, between uh, the clients and the regulating bodies. So right. um, I'd say that's the primary side of what we do. But GIS, like you said, is a perfect hand in hand that because the limits of the jurisdiction for the Corps of Engineers are what's called the ordinary watermark of a stream. And so you have to capture that data out in the field. I take a GPS out there and we walk it and take points along the banks or along the water's edge or whatever the case is to, to define the ordinary watermark. And that becomes what we use as the impact area or the regulated area by the governing body. So tell me what um, industries use GIS just to kind of give our listeners uh, an overview of what pockets actually can tap into GIS. I don't know that you've probably interviewed anyone on this podcast that GIS couldn't or wouldn't be used in whatever respective field they're in. Because like for me, environmental engineering goes hand in hand with that. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of GIS in use with that. The health field uses it. Like I said, with this Corona stuff and tracking diseases, um, uh, retailers use it to figure out where to put their next location. Same with, you know, Whataburger has GIS people to figure out the best way to target the people that are around them. When I, when I worked at uh, Best Buy in college, um, it's an example I like to think of because I, I don't know whether to use GIS, I would assume so, but they started doing this thing where there were four different types of stores. I remember there was like the soccer mom and the, and the, kind of tech head guy and they kind of use the demographics of the area to figure out how they wanted to target that per- that particular store based on one of those four things whichever one matched up best they would they would make the store represent that person so i'm sure they had to use some kind of spatial data to figure out who those people were so it's it's just something that can be used everywhere and for anything mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um i will tell you a story um obviously with what i do i'm in the college world, although I, I don't make recommendations on colleges. Um, mm-hmm. But I was touring one and I was meeting with the GIS department head and I was like, okay, explain this to me because it was seeing it come up a lot in careers and I did not have a solid understanding. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to a person who's an expert and learn from it. And a couple of interesting things that he talked about was, first of all, the growth um, it's just, they would have students sometimes who would not even complete their undergrad degree because they had come 
companies coming in weekly, giving presentations, recruiting them. Some students would actually leave, which if you're that far in, I professionally say cross the finish line. That's <laughs> why you're there. <laughs> I know the money's enticing, but cross that finish line. Um, but what's, what's interesting is that I met some students who, like, for example, what, one was a marine biologist and was getting their master's in GIS. And I said, why would you do that? And she said to me, because if I have GIS anywhere on my resume, I'm instantly, instantly hireable. Whereas mm -hmm. we probably know statistic-wise, marine biologists, very specialized field, not a lot of growth, sure not a lot of money, unless you're going to go on <laughs> for your PhD. So it was just a very strategic way and a brilliant way, I thought, to kind of do what you love, but make sure that when it's all said and done, you can get a job. Sure. So you think about oil and gas, Mm -hmm. You think about real estate, right? Mm -hmm. They have to, you talked about it with Whataburger. Um, mm -hmm. When I was coming back, we had gone to Alaska last summer and we were in the Arizona airport. And of course I talked to anybody and everybody. And this couple was sitting next to us in a restaurant as we waited for our flight. He worked for USAA. He actually had gone to the GIS, the Esri conference. Yeah. And Jane Goodall was the guest speaker. Mm -hmm. who's the environmentalist, um, young adults probably may know her with the apes to their <laughs> language, but she was the guest speaker and she was talking about how they had used GIS. That's why she was there as their keynote to track the migration of animals, but ultimately the poachers. Mm. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is a brilliant correlation and idea of, what that actually means. So for young mm -hmm. adults who are drawn towards, you know, maybe has the desire to be out in nature and, and in the environment and to be active, but then, you know, talk about saving the world and, and doing something that matters. I mean, I just thought it was a really great correlation. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just got back last night from a trip down to, I wouldn't say the coast, kind of the, the, Bay area of Texas, mm -hmm. <laughs> the mosquito part of Texas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I was doing work on two conservation properties down there that, uh, actually I'm sure you're going to bring this up in a bit, but I'm a licensed drone pilot. And, yes. um, these, they have these areas that they want to conserve in perpetuity with what's called a conservation easement where they, they kind of sell the owner sells the development rights to a property, mm -hmm. but kind of keep using the property as long as they meet certain needs to it. So they get, they get paid to keep the land, but not subdivide it and do other things that, that make it, you know, not in its natural state anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so part of that, they have to do what's called a uh, baseline documentation or environmental baseline. And so we take the drone up and, and fly around and look and document what we see. We, we go to certain points that we find and, and take the vegetative conditions at those site and take different photos from it with the drone and on the ground. And those are used to, as the comparison for future monitoring events at that property to, to show that it's still in its natural state. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so, I mean, just bringing up, you know, doing things for the world, that's just one small example of, of something that's in that realm. 
Right. And very good point. Oftentimes GIS and drones are attached together. That's how they get the data. And so that's another kind of cool concept for young adults because sometimes somebody will say, gosh, I want to be a pilot. And by the way, our next podcast is actually going to be a pilot, combat pilot, um, also flies for Delta as well. But the the future is heading towards drone pilots. Mm -hmm. And because I'm just all about sharing useless information, um, (laughs) you can actually get your drone pilots in about two weekends. It's about $1,000. There's a couple of different companies. I will tell you the university that I was speaking to about GIS, it's actually incorporated into their program. So mm-hmm. you get your GIS and you, you get your, the drone experience, which is, cool. yeah, it's, it's really, it's a beautiful marriage. Yeah, it is. That's cool. Yeah. So I know we talked, there's a few schools that have GIS in Texas. You went to Texas state. I did. Yes. Yes. Um, you and then know, I got my, I'm sorry, I got my master's then online through Oregon state, awesome. which I did. I did about five years or so after I started working with Mm -hmm. GIS, I went back to get my master's degree, um, basically to, to show on paper that I could do what I already could do. (laughs) And that's not to say I didn't learn a lot. I really did. Oregon state had a great program. I'd recommend to anybody who's, who's looking at it. And and I got a GIS science certificate from there, which is the science of GIS as it sounds. So, um, I could do those two things concurrently and, Mm -hmm. um, it just worked out well. It took two years and, you know, I worked the whole time, obviously, but mm-hmm. <laughs> someone who's not working could probably do it a lot faster, but right. uh, it was, it was a really good program and I would suggest it. And I would say, you know, I have half of my clients are adults. Mm-hmm. Um, a powerful perspective is that undergrad was not what his master's was. And yeah. so it, that's a nice option to know, gosh, okay, I have this undergrad in this, but And let's, I want to talk about growth real quick. So Department of Labor always says that a healthy career grows at 6.5%. And GIS is um, actually growing faster than that. So within the U.S., it's at 10%, um, with about 35,000 projected jobs over the next 10 years. And they start at around 45,000. And a majority of people have bachelor's degrees, about 52%. Mm -hmm. And then there are about 30%. You kind of fall in that category with masters. Mm -hmm. So within the U S average range is 88,000 and then high is 146. Mm -hmm. So in Texas, the great state of Texas, although (laughs) anybody can find this data out by the way, on the department of labor, onetonline.org is where you go. Um, Texas has a 16% growth. I mean, we've got coastline, we've got oil, we have a booming economy, everyone's moving here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have, um, 1500 annual jobs and the pay's about the same. Um, but the, um, we just have great opportunity for incredible salaries with a four-year degree. Now I'm all about keeping it real too. Sometimes you can go get a GIS certificate, um, without needing a four-year undergrad that exists. Mm-hmm. So it does allow you to kind of get into that field and get a higher salary than you would potentially have. So mm-hmm. um, just great, great numbers, great opportunity. I went out and I was like, okay, how many people are advertising on Indeed right now? Now, mind you, we're in a pandemic, 
right? Right. Who is hiring at all? Um, mm-hmm. And in Texas, there were 525 jobs that popped up that had wow. GIS attached that they needed to hire. Mm-hmm. And then in the U.S., there were 7,000 jobs. So wow. again, you know, just kind of keeping these careers on your radar, especially. I know it's probably a dominantly male career field, but for young women, I mean, it's a phenomenal option. Another thing I do is that I am the vice president of our Alamo area GIS user group. Awesome. We do a lot of networking events and stuff like that. But I would say, especially with the younger people in the career I see coming up, I'd say it's a lot of female, um, I guess, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of females coming up doing this now too in the environmental field too on the same note. Yes. So, so uh, definitely not something to shy away from. <laughs> right. No, no. And I think for young women who care about the investigative problem solving, um, mm-hmm. they're curious, how does that work? Why does it work? Um, who hopefully have had a little bit exposure to computer programming, because there is going to be some of that. I mean, it's a lot of data, right? You're, yeah you're sitting in front of the computer about 70% of the time out in the field, about 30. Um, Some people I hear kind of half and half. I think it just depends where you're working, but it does give you that great opportunity because a lot of people don't want to be sitting behind a desk all day Yeah, and and they want to be active. So I think it's kind Mm -hmm. of a good, a good balance and working with your hands, you know, being um, taking things apart and putting them back together um, as well as really process driven, you know, if those things resonate with you, you want to solve a problem that's hands on in a very process driven way. This is a career field that should, should be on your radar and learn more about, and we're going to post a couple of websites um, mm-hmm. on the podcast that have great, great resources for people to go check it out. I know um, on the Esri website, there's some great videos Mm-hmm. Because they're tr- they're learning, I think they've they've got to market it a little bit more yeah. in language that people understand who have had no no attachment to it. Definitely. So, if you had to go back and do it again, would you still go into this career field? I would. I would. I, <laughs> if you'd asked me, <laughs> you don't have to answer that. Uh, <laughs> no, if you'd <laughs> if you'd asked me, you know, eleven years ago, whenever I started, who knows what I would have said. But now, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great field that. It, it's ever changing. So it keeps you on your toes. Um, and it's, it's just something that I never thought I would be doing, but like I said, I just kind of gravitated toward it and and took ownership of it and it's been great. (laughs) Well, and I think you made a really good point when you stop using word mapping and stuff and you go Google Mm -hmm. for this generation, it's like a light switch comes on because mm-hmm. nothing that we do anymore is without Google. Yeah, it's true. Nothing. <laughs> so that integrates with everything um, mm-hmm. just as a, as a baseline. So it's pretty sure. cool. Yeah. Um, so what, what advice would you give somebody who's considering this field? And I, I always um, said, let's kind of end with three words of wisdom. And, and so tell me what you think those are. Uh, I would say the number one thing that I always, always, always tell people who ask me what to do is it's not even GIS based. It's just professional based, which is network, network, network. Um, Just (laughs) who, you know, is always a big deal. You want to do good work, of course, but, Mm -hmm. but 
you want to, you want to just know people you want, whoever, you know, is who might get your foot in the door at that first job or that first mm-hmm. internship, which is the other piece of advice is, is do an internship, find anywhere you can intern or, or job shadow mm-hmm. because at a company like ours, we we're super small. I didn't yeah. mention that we're, you know, three people, but mm-hmm. we have internships every now and then not very often. And the people who intern, we may or may not be able to hire, but you can, be sure that we're going to give that person a great reference. We know a lot of people. So Mm -hmm, (laughs) when, you know, when I see so-and-so is posting a job, I can say, I got just the person for that job. So, so that kind of stuff matters. And and on the other hand, I guess it's, this is probably more for the people who've been doing it a while, but be nice to those, those people who are coming up because Mm -hmm. they might be your boss in five years. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a field where you just don't know what's going to happen. So um, yeah. Networking, interning. Those are the, the two main things. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I think that's, I think that's um, a really brilliant one. And, you know, I, I the networking, I always preach this. Yeah. Obviously you and I connected through yeah. <laughs> the craziness of just randomly, I think authentically connecting. That's one mm-hmm. thing I would probably put a caveat on. Um, there's so mm-hmm. many connections I get through LinkedIn. I have no idea who these individuals are. And <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. We don't know who they, we have no connections and I know they're wanting to sell me something. Not exactly. To actually <laughs> authentically network. So, um, you know, I really appreciate your perspective. Um, it's, I think going to be very helpful for so mm-hmm. many of my clients because, you know, it's one thing for me to articulate what I know, but to talk with someone in the field, um, and I know just from meeting you for the little bit of time, I'm sure you would be willing to talk to a high school student or a college student oh, yeah. if they came around. Um, so I was I'm just really... going to say that if there's contact information of mine, you want to post, feel free. Cause okay. awesome. I, I love talking to people about, you know, how to get into this and, and what to do once they're in it. And <laughs> well, and I'll tell you when we talked, I, I could totally feel your passion Um, you just, you know, you're really funny and it's nice to have (laughs) conversations with people who you can tell they really enjoy what they do and they want to share their wisdom and knowledge. So thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So just to remind everyone, um, podcasts are posted, um, on my website at the beginning of every month. If you want to sign up for them and get them through our newsletter at the beginning of the month. You can go to whatsmycareerstory.com or Reader Consulting and sign up. That's R-E-E-D-E-R consulting.com. And one thing I just want to say, I'm so passionate about formal career exploration. Matt was a prime example. I hate when I hear young adults are in college for six years. That is actually on (laughs) average, by the way. So you're not special, Matt. But (laughs) with every year past four um, can make a person feel like they're being defeated and they're not accomplishing anything. And unless you're independently wealthy and just are (laughs) lifelong learners, it can be very expensive. So, you know, there is a power in, in understanding that how your brain works and finding the people who are like you. And it's not just for young adults. It's for adults as well. And I always keep this one on my radar because the growth is great. The, the ability to get there is, it seems feasible and reasonable. It's not a PhD and all that kind of stuff. It's um, a great option. So just remember how important career exploration is. And I'm really passionate about kind of weaving the puzzle together to 
make you make a person feel confident in their decision. So thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. I hope we get to meet in person someday. If I can ever do anything or be a resource for you, please know I'm here. Well, same goes for you. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Hope you have a great day and that you all proceed with confidence. Thank you for listening to What's Your Career Story? If you'd like early access to episodes, you can join us at whatsyourcareerstory.com. If you'd like to learn about career paths, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is also available at whatsyourcareerstory.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.